Said G Podcast Show. And this show is sponsored by Said G Equity Investments. It's the Said G Podcast Show. Hood, social politics. Factual facts. The hood meets society. Kicking social matters. It's the Said G Podcast Show. Welcome to the Said G Podcast Show. Coming live from Dallas, Texas, right smack in the middle of a winter storm. I've had the pleasure of doing podcasts in various cities, and I consider that to be a blessing. Check out my last episode, Psychological Warfare, as I explore the different methods of how psychological warfare is implied. This episode is all about families of the game, the family business. I want to explore different families that blew up and became drug empires. This is the Said G Podcast Show. Share this episode. Tell a friend. Pause for a second before we go any further. Do me a favor, family, and click the subscribe button. This is how you receive notifications for the latest episodes. I appreciate you, family. One love. Salute to Oakland, San Jose, and Walnut, California, Detroit, and West Bloomfield, Michigan, Memphis, and Cordova, Tennessee. I really want to thank you guys for listening to the show. I really appreciate the audience, and I will keep giving you guys great content. This is Said G. One love. Welcome back to the Said G Podcast Show. I want to thank you guys for joining me. Smack dead in the middle of a winter storm. Dallas, Texas, Texas. Uh, cities like this is really not equipped to deal with a winter storm and most cities in the south are not equipped to deal with a winter storm so everything sort of, sort of shuts down but I'm still enjoying my time in Texas um, it's the same thing in Memphis, Tennessee and that's why you can look at significant events during a lifetime and I think it's a blessing you're able to make a recording during that time, uh, historical moment. Families of the game, welcome to the family business. And when you go back and you look at a lot of information that's on the internet or that's on YouTube and different sources, and they explain street stuff or they talk about the drug trade a lot of those stories may have uh, some holes in them 
that's why you have so many people that's on YouTube and, and, and different sources of medium um, sort of filling in those holes. Um, I can sit back and listen to a lot of stuff or look at a lot of stuff and be like, no, nah, you need to add something right there or this other thing that happened right there to make that go, you know. So that's one of the main reasons why you have so many people explaining uh, all these stories, um, like I said, on YouTube and other sources of medium. And uh, one of the gaping holes about the drug trade is it could become a family business. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it could become a family business. Um, you can get involved in that trade with your literal sibling, your cousin, uh, uncle, nephew. Uh, in many cases, parents may actually give the, the kid startup money to get involved in the drug trade. That's a fact. I know people that have done that where their parents actually gave them the money to get started because the parents' theory was if you're going to get involved in this, it's best to buy your own instead of going to get fronted dope, as they called it, or getting drugs on consignment and owing people money because if something happened to that money, uh, they still going to want their money. This is the streets. You don't take people to court because you owe them money and try to sue them. You know, their method of getting their money is by uh, the gun that's setting the example, don't play around with my money. You know, so, yeah, it gets deep. Uh, it can get like that. And a lot of people may theorize and say that it's because of a broken home why this kid may end up in the street because a lot of these kids didn't actually come from broken homes. You know, it may be a lot of situations where the parents are not together, and but the parents still took care of the kid, you know. So it's a certain level of um, enticement to get involved in that. And like I said, sometimes it becomes the family business. That's inter interesting. And I don't, I don't think too many people will actually make that point out. They may recognize that, but in terms of putting it out there like a family thing, uh, I don't think I hear too much of that, you know. So there's a gang of uh, families I really want to talk about on this episode. Um, one of the early guys uh, was the Curry Brothers. Uh, another interesting group uh, is a set of brothers. They blew up and, uh, you know, created an empire on the streets, uh, the twin brothers. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit here and talk about the Curry brothers. Johnny Curry and his brother Leonard were born in 1959. Their younger brother Rudell was born a year later. They grew up in a lower middle class, predominantly African-American East Side neighborhood. Uh, by all accounts, Johnny was more reserved and cerebral of the twins while Leo as Leonard was known as the flashy extrovert. Um, the twins began their drug careers in the late 1970s, selling marijuana. The brother's father, Samuel Sammy Mac Curry, just like I explained to you guys just a second ago, sometimes your parent may actually get you started and really get you going. In this case, their father, 
reportedly provided the seed money for the business in 1978. After moving up to high volume dealing, they switched from marijuana to heroin and finally powder cocaine and crack in the 1980s. They built and maintained a collection of 24 dope houses on the east side of Detroit, offering marijuana, heroin, cocaine, and crack, and stored significant amounts of cash at Allen Hill Seniors Hills Marathon Station Auto Garage. Um, yeah. That's that's the Curry Brothers right there. They built an uh, empire. But the thing about the Curry Brothers, they probably didn't get the notoriety like that in the streets uh, compared to other entities that we're more familiar with, the more popular ones. But they was doing it just as big. Um, they mostly come from the uh, Mac and Bewick area. Most of the old heads from that area, they're going to mention something about the Curry Brothers. They're a little bit older than me. They're more like my uncle's age. And when the real conversation started kicking up about crack, um, they wasn't involved in that conversation. The other guys was. And he's mostly um, associated with the white boy Rick story. So in, in a lot of ways, white boy Rick sort of overshadowed them. I don't think they like that because he, they were generally considered to be bigger than somebody like White Boy Rick. But they had controversy. He was uh, Johnny Curry, known as Little Man Curry. The other twin was known as Big Man Curry. But Little Man Curry, uh, he was married to the niece of the mayor. She was a controversial figure herself. Uh, in fact, her family, I believe her uncle or something like that, he was involved in the drug trade. And of course, the mayor was her, her uncle. Uh, they were riding around with uh, police uh, security, and his, this is one of the major drug dealers on the east side, you know. But again, welcome to the family business. You know, of course, they later on, they get indicted and all that. And another significant thing uh, about them, because if you look at the, uh, the other major figures on the streets at that time, we all came across those other guys in some type of way, meaning we may have known somebody that actually works for one of those organizations, uh, or we may just visually see them, you know, or just coming across them in some type of way. So it's like one big web uh, of people that came across the other people. As, as when you talk about the Curry brothers, we didn't come across people that was working for them. We didn't come across people that uh, was getting money with them. It was like more or less, more or less fifth precinct Mac and B with, you know, and I'm, I'm sure they had a bunch of um, dope houses because at that time, crack houses was a popular thing at that time. So um, we didn't come across their crew like that, like all the rest of the guys. So, but it, yet and still they built an empire the Curry Brothers of Detroit, you know, and uh, um, my grandfather lived on Hurlbit, uh, so he come from the era on uh, the area. I used to see those guys myself, but I was I was really a kid at the time. Like I said, they more like my uncle's age, uh, my aunties and age. They know them and grew up with them and all that type of stuff. So uh, the family business is interesting. They built up an empire, and I did it with my twin brother. Uh, like I said, a lot of this stuff may affect your family. You know, uh, a lot of family members be having their hands in the pot. <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, let's go to another uh, family, the Furtado Brothers out of Queens, New York. Uh, 
these guys are rehabilitating themselves. They have a ministry going on. I really uh, support what they uh, doing right now because ultimately, like most people, they had to learn that they really wasted a lot of time with that because at the end of the day, you end up with nothing. The feds will come in and take everything from you. You know, you get your time to shine and you know, get your time to get your money. But with this particular group, they lasted a really a long time. Like really, they um knew how to manipulate and move around and move their business where they could last a long time. But unfortunately, when you do that, that's when the feds come in because they see they can't catch you on a local level. They can't catch you on a local level because you're too sophisticated for, for that. Your operation is too sophisticated. So they had to bring in the feds in. And once the feds come in, you know, their conviction rate is, is kind of high. So in two decades, the Seven Crowns built their neighborhood gang into sophisticated into a sophisticated million-dollar-a-week drug enterprise that operated ruthlessly and flagrantly recruiting from the youngest upstarts and selling to the youngest buyers in Southeast Queens. Those who crossed the line, authorities said, were killed. That's interesting. But, you know, when you look at these news reports and all that, they sort of blow you up. They want to make you look like you're the most notorious person on the planet, and that helps with the Fed case. Uh, you know, public conviction is basically what they're doing, assassinating your character, you know. So they'll blow it up just so, so they can get it. Um, <clears throat> A conviction on you that's a fact um but uh they were led by the, the brothers they go back to the brothers um i believe um queens is one of those cities uh they has interesting interesting stories out there and most of the stories you hear uh be about um uh fat cat nickels and the supreme team but they said the gang initially sold cocaine and later Nigerian heroin, which is 90% pure under the label Black Rain in South Ozone Park, Ozone Park and South Jamaica, Queens. Seven Crowns, which has connections to the Colombian drug trade, recently expanded its organization in several East Coast cities. Uh, but they, they, uh, I think their indictment actually came out of uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. And the, you have Lance and you have Todd and you had their uncle Kendall was actually all involved into the business. But I believe Anthony was actually the, uh, I guess you can say the, the brains behind the organizations. Uh, Anthony Furtado honed his skills growing up on the streets of Southeast Queens as a member of the then youthful Seven Crowns. His ruthless enforcement style put him on par with other notorious gang leaders, including Lorenzo Fat Cat Nichols, Kenneth McGriff, and Gerald Prince Miller. Um, those are the words of the investigation. Like I said, they had a long reign. These guys um, started out in 1970 as a street gang of rabble-rousers whose members pelted houses and threatened to burn them down. You know, and then you know New York was big on those that the five percenter, those percenter percenter things. I don't thoroughly understand that, so I don't want to disrespect it. 
and make it trying to sound funny or whatever like that. So I don't want no misconception here. I don't really understand the percentage thing they have going on out there, but apparently so many people out there was actually involved in that. So and I guess uh this group, the Seven Crowns, was some type of percentage, and uh that was that's a big thing in New York. In the 1980s, crack cocaine exploded on the on the scene, and comp- competition stiffened, inciting turf wars and murder. So, Anthony Furtado worked with his brothers Lance and Todd, and Uncle Kendall George Furtado. Uh, like I said, the family business. There's a set of brothers, brought in other brothers, then they got their uncle in there. I'm sure it's more family people uh, got involved in that because there was a lot of people got caught up on the indictment. So these dudes moved a major weight for at least 20 years, and they were able to beat the local system. Uh, that's why you had to bring in the feds. And uh, at the end of the day, the feds come in and take everything. They will tell you that. You know, I really support their movement. So we got the Furtado brothers. Now, we're going to swing it over here to the Chambers brothers. Uh, the Chambers Brothers is known worldwide, you know. Their story has been featured on nationwide uh, TV shows. Uh, it's all over the YouTube. And uh, they was one of the biggest crack dealers in America. Uh, they really operated a lot of crack houses. Uh, you know, it's it's some stuff that, that surrounds their story. Like when you hear it on the Internet, you may hear some... You, some holes in it in the story but it is true they brought a lot of those guys from Arkansas out there to Detroit um how they how the story they got it looking as if they just popped up up there and just started taking over the drug trade when in fact they were actually living there for some years I believe one of the brothers was already living there for some years then BJ came so they were actually there for a while so um, BJ even went to the high school I went to which was Kettering High School and I always speak highly of Kettering High School that's one of the best experiences I've had in my life Uh, but they had a bad reputation of not paying their workers Uh, I talked about this on other episodes and I'm probably do an episode on these guys myself um, it may not come from the, the top hierarchy, but some way, somehow, the money wasn't trickling down to the actual workers. So they were going down there where they from, flashing all the, the, their riches, enticing the guys from down here. So they started bringing them up there. Uh, and they were basically lost. You know, they were stuck in them, them crack houses, basically, basically working for hamburgers. That's a fact. So we can blow it up talking about how these guys make all this, this money with this crack and all this, but the, the workers, they not getting very little or nothing. So uh, that's one of the bad things about that. And um, they made approximately $3 million a week and made up to $50 million a year selling drugs. Um, you know, it was four brothers. They, they were... Um, um, highlighted on the show American Gangster. And a lot of people think that the movie New Jack City um, had a lot to do with the Chambers brothers. Uh, you had Otis, you had Willis, uh, Willie, and you had BJ, uh, which BJ was more of the uh, likable guy out of the Chambers brothers. I don't think that people 
was feeling, I believe, was the oldest one. Uh, but people really liked BJ. You know, he was cool with a lot of people out there in the city. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing one of the brothers' name. I can't think. Larry. Larry was the oldest one. It was BJ, Larry, Willie, and Otis. And I believe Otis was their youngest brother. And of course, uh, people were familiar with their story when they came out the videotapes uh, of these guys when they had baskets full of money talking about giving away to the poor and some of those guys from that clique used to do that like I went to Kettering and it was this guy that was working for the Chambers brother he used to come up there and throw money out the car you know he did that on a few occasions uh, but that's what they used to do so uh, that's one of the bad things about it and by them crossing uh, cross state lines going down to Arkansas and bringing those guys back to Detroit. That's that's a conspiracy within itself. So they definitely going to lock you up for that. So and these guys got some long prison sentences too. But it's 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 a true fact that they had the most crack houses. Uh, the only problem with that is it 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 created this big super clientele because they really came and undercutted the market with those nickel rocks. Uh, you had a couple of people that was selling nickel rocks, but the Chambers brother took that nickel rock thing to a whole nother level. They had these big old humongous rocks and they was selling them for $5. And it created this massive type of um, clientele. So that was another thing that really hurt the city in my opinion. That's just my opinion. So we can hype up how these guys make all these millions of dollars and all that type of stuff. They, yeah, they really truly did that. Because if you could combine all these families together, you're talking about a multi-billion dollar um, income that these guys created. Welcome to the family business. Families in the game. The Chambers brothers made millions of dollars off the crack cocaine trade. That's a fact. So, and it just, um, and the thing you get out of all that, you get a folklore story, you know. So, but here's another case of all the brothers getting involved in the drug trade. They made each other be bosses in the game. And they messed with millions of dollars, just like the Furtado brothers, just like the Curry brothers. It's the Sad G Podcast Show. This thing getting deep. Uh, but yeah, these guys, they were balling out of control, for sure. You can't deny that. Yes, they ran the crack gang via crack houses. That's, that's what their niche was, crack houses. They had the most crack houses. They had them everywhere. You really couldn't compete with them because they were selling these big rocks for only $5. You know, they, they really helped cheapen the price of, of crack cocaine, you know, which helped even more people that's in depressive situations. And like I said before, they can scratch up on $5 and go buy a rock and get a big humongous one on top of that. But it used to be a spectacle to see they, they houses getting busted and all that. It's just like the neighborhood news, you know. Uh, it's a Sad G podcast show. The family business. <laughs> Families in the game. I'll be right back. This is a public service announcement. Mental health is a serious issue. I've dealt with depression and I can tell you that it's no joke. You feel low, low self-esteem, bad eating, bad sleeping, and sometimes feeling suicidal. It feels like there is nothing else in the tank of life. If you feel like this, seek 
help today. We must break the stigma of confusing this with mental health retardation. There are many organizations out there that can help. Seek one today. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. 911. It's M I S T A 911. Facebook at Said G Podcast Show. Instagram at Said G Pod. And subscribe to my YouTube page at Said G Podcast. You can see the latest pics, trailers, and financial information. to the said g podcast show make sure y'all click that subscribe button that way you get notifications for my upcoming well whenever i drop an episode uh i'm getting my stock market uh class back together i'm getting more requests to actually do another zoom meeting so that will be coming soon and if you need coaching on how to create a good portfolio uh, in the stock market, I do offer one-on-one sessions and we can definitely negotiate a price. If you have a small business and you're looking for advertisement, you can actually advertise on this podcast. Uh, it's only $25 to advertise on an episode. Uh, that episode does get played all year round. Uh, so uh, just leave me an email or you can catch up with me on social media and leave me a DM or just Google CG Podcast. Families in the game. Welcome to the family business. It's interesting. Like I said, uh, a lot of these cases, your family actually get involved in the business. You know, it could be a sibling, it could be a cousin, it could be an uncle, it could be an auntie. Uh, a lot of cases, uh, especially right now with uh, the millennials, because a lot of those millennials were raised by hustlers. You know, that's a fact. A lot of them was. So uh, sometimes the hustle just being the family trait. You know, but I don't think it's good uh, that families get involved in the business. I've always been the type of person I tried to be. Well, I had to keep that away from my mother, keep that away from my sisters, and do all costs on, do anything to keep it away from my nieces and nephews. You know, I never wanted to project that image to them, but that's just me. Everybody don't think the same. So, uh, but it's no disrespect to these people, uh, anybody, any one of these families. Uh, a lot of these guys went through the storm you know, and they woke up, so they trying to preach the message, try to stop um, people from getting involved in that because at the end of the day, the feds can come take everything from you. That's a fact. Then you have to start all over again, you know. So I really like what the guys are doing nowadays. So but let's move on. Next I got on this list is the Davis Family Group. The three Davis brothers, Reginald, Dwayne, and Kenneth Ricardo, also known as Ricky, were small-time retailers with a dream and determination to make that dream come true. These guys actually, actually lasted for a long time too, but again, they got end up in a, a caught up in an indictment 
Uh, in a dozen years, they had reached the heights, described by the government as among the elite in their field with connections on four continents. They expanded and diversified, and the money rolled in faster than they could spend it. The Davis Family Group, or DFG, as they came to be called by federal agents, grew from selling dying packs of heroin on Detroit street corners to one of the country's largest heroin and cocaine distribution rings. Yeah, that's one of the things about these guys. They were actually worldwide. Uh, they have said to have connections in Amsterdam, Turkey, and Holland. Uh, I know most people look at the Young Boys Incorporated as the most influential gang, but uh, these guys were said uh, were known to be actually supplying the uh, YBI. And there's no telling how many other people they were supplying. Uh, but these guys were worldwide. They was uh, they end up getting indicted. Indicted. I believe they caused some indictments in them other countries as well. And that's really doing it big. So. Uh, they went from the average person, um, like most people may start out, you know, just moving small packs and found opportunity, you know, franchising. You know, it's just another business model. Uh, a lot of people don't understand when you actually get into that business. You have labels. I didn't realize these labels until I actually went to school. And some of these labels are manufacturing, distribution, logistics and planning you know so uh if you can take that type of enterprising and take that in information and apply it to something legit you can still come off the same way so uh it's just unfortunate that we feel that the drug trade is our way of getting there and i understand that all the oppression and, and suppression that sort of force uh families to look this way and a lot of these things become addictive. These guys traveling around the world, that can get addictive. You know, they're going directly to these sources, uh, the, the most pure, purest form of these drugs, and they bringing them in, you know. So it's, uh, when you, when you, uh, when the feds come into play, that means you really do making some noise. You know what I'm saying? So these guys were doing it on a major scale, on a major scale, so. Uh, and you know they starting to come out more with their stories, and uh, they want to tell people not to uh, get involved in this guy, in this game, just like um the rest of these guys. While getting brown Mexican heroin from his California connection, Davis, according to grand jury testimony, had developed international services. By 1977, Davis had reversed roles with his San Francisco connection and was selling her between 16000 and 32000 worth of heroin a month. That was his original uh, connection. Then he turned around and started selling to her. It could be, it can happen like that. Um, that was out there on the West Coast. So he had, they had a West Coast base, um, Beverly Hills Mansion. <laughs> that's doing it big. If y'all ever been to Beverly Hills, that's doing it big. But, it, you know, it costs in California like that anyway. Uh, I believe a lot of stars and celebrities and stuff like that uh, live in Beverly, Beverly Hills. In February, February 1980, Dwayne Davis, now 20, 29, made a heroin deal with the DEA informer. Federal agent said Dwayne Davis was driving a yellow Cadillac, El Dorado, registered in the name of Sylvester Seal Murray, one of the architects of the Young Boys Incorporated. Yeah. Uh, 
Seal Murray is one of the important figures of the Young Boys Incorporated. So so was wonderful Wayne. Uh, so those guys uh, were all uh, uh, Seal was a part of the Young Boys Incorporated uh, thing. The brothers were willing to pay an introduction to American expert expertinates and a Dutchman running a smuggling operation in Amsterdam. One of the American later bragged that the introduction was worth $10,000 to $20,000. So they paid to get introduced to these connects, which is cool. That's just being aggressive in business. Well, I'm not saying selling drugs is, uh, is, is cool, but I'm saying being aggressive in business, that's cool. So you got the Davis family group. Uh, worldwide, man, they, they had a long run. Uh, ten years, that's a long time in that game. On average, you'll last about three years in that game. So, uh, the next on that list is uh, the Buntrump Brothers from the infamous Pony Down crew. Um, here's another crew that's synonym- synonymous with the Young Boys Incorporated. Uh, they like parallel crews. There was a lot of similarities from these guys, uh, from these clu- these crews. Um, but in another case, it was brothers. Um, and the two brothers kicked this crew off, you know. And I don't, I don't think they got along with YBI like that on that level. Um, but yet again, you know, this is another one of those legendary crews started by brothers. The Pony Down crew started around the same time as YBI by Leroy Gunn Buntram. Buttram, the crew, according to Chief Hart's records, was the gang. In addition to YBI in Detroit in 1982, when YBI was taken down, they, that gave Pony Down citywide influence. I don't know why they keep always talking about when Young Boys Incorporated went down. They left this vacuum where it reached all the way on the east side. I, I read some other story they were saying that when Young Boys Incorporated went down, they left this wide over. Yeah, maybe over there where they was from, but that stuff didn't reach the east side like that. That's just a fact, you know. So uh, these storylines and their influence reached the east side, but as far as them leaving a vacuum on the east side, that's not true at all. You know, all that stuff they were doing, that was all on the west side. So, yes, it may have left more for another crew over there where they're from. That's just a fact. So, um, but that's what they say here. I'm sure it helped Pony Down out when they took down YBI. Their name came from the fact they wore ponies. Uh, like I said, um, Young Boys Incorporated was more than, you know, there was more Adidas, whereas Pony Down, they wore ponies. Um, you know, like I said, people compare the crews. The members of Leroy Buntram's inner circle were family members, including his brother, Tony the Snake Buttram. That's another case. This is his brother. Uh, Pony Down's influence is extremely powerful in the city. When a smaller rival gang kidnapped Tony Buntram's daughter, the reporter described an exchange between the kidnapper and the Detroit police to get Buntram's daughter back. Uh, that was another situation where he bypassed the police and he went and got his daughter back on his own. Uh, he pulled down on the people who allegedly kidnapped his daughter and he got his daughter back, you know. But there's another inf- infamous crew that's known throughout the city. Uh, yes, they will be synonymous with Young Boys Incorporated. And sometimes people don't like to be synonymous, synonymous with other crews and stuff like that, but it just end up like that. So 
Uh, another case of, hey, welcome to the family business. Uh, last on my list is the infamous Brown Brothers, also known as the best friends. I just did an episode on those guys. Um, you got Boogaloo, Reggie, Ezra, and Ghost. They are known as the one of the most infamous family clique, I guess you can call it. Uh, I just did an episode on them. It's actually doing really well, especially on YouTube. And you guys can go subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm really going to be doing some special things with that channel soon. I just got my green screen in. I'm doing some live videos on there. So go subscribe to my YouTube. Um, like I said, yeah, I did an episode on these guys. Uh, again, it's, it's four brothers. Um starting in the, in the family business you know i guess it's one of them cases where you have to get the people you may trust the most uh and at the end of the day it's not a good result uh boogaloo end up getting killed uh reggie doing life in prison and the other two brothers got killed so three of the brothers end up getting murdered and one is doing life in prison uh, but they did build up a reputation that'll last a lifetime uh, in the streets, uh, just for their infamy, you know, they sold a lot of dope, uh, all up and down the I-75 quarter on the East Coast, down in the South, you know, and they just had that, that, that violent nature to them, uh, that, um, overshadowed the crew, which means, uh, the rest of the crew, uh, they were body body, so, but they were the leaders of the crew, um, but it wasn't just them, even though they may get the notoriety uh, for the best friends. Uh, they did create the crew, but there was a lot of them involved in that crew. Um, and, and, and even some of the pe other people that was involved in that crew, they family members got involved in that. So, um, yeah, man, a lot, of, a lot of times your family get involved in that stuff. A lot of times your family... Uh, you fall out with your family over this game. Uh, you become enemies with uh, families. Uh, families become enemies in the game, you know. Uh, you have brothers shooting at brothers. Like, they come from the same mother, you know. Uh, then another um, crew, um, um, honorable mention, is um, Big Meech and Southwest T. You know, there's another two brothers uh, creating a big empire. You know, but if you look at all these families and you start crunching the numbers, you're like, man, that was a trillion dollars right there. You know, just a big meets in Southwest T alone, that's a billion dollars. And then you not even add the rest of these stuff in there. Furtado Brothers, the Chambers Brothers, the Brown Brothers, uh, DFG, uh, the Bunch of Butcham Brothers. You know, just add, crunch the numbers. Look at all, look at the money that they seen and put their hands on. You know, it's no different than Wall Street, you know, dealing with tremendous cash flow on, on an international scale. On an international scale. You know, it's interesting <laughs> if you really think about it. So that's one of the holes in the game that families do get involved in this. I, I, I don't think that's a cool thing. Uh, I'd rather see a family start really, really something legit. And there's a lot of family businesses out there that do legitimate things. But I just want to take this episode 
And to mention this and talk about it a little bit, it's the CG Podcast Show. If you share this episode, subscribe to this podcast and tell a friend.